welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, featuring your host, Angela Harders. We're committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. Together, we believe that the world is our biggest and best classroom, and the people and places in it are our greatest teachers. So I invite you to join me on the adventure of a lifetime, beginning with a conversation that can change the world. Today's episode of the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast is brought to you by the book, Gospel-Based Parenting, a biblical study on discipline and discipling. In this book, you will explore what the Bible really says about spanking and how we can discipline our children the biblical way without spanking or punishment. Every chapter includes a list of discussion and application questions to help you reflect on God's word, God's heart, and your own heart as you seek to discipline and disciple your children like Jesus. Buy your copy today. Hello, and welcome to the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, where we are committed to cultivating a peaceful world beginning right in our own hearts and homes. My name is Angela Harders. I'm a special education teacher, a gentle parenting author, and a proud world schooling mother to two amazing children, Sophia, who is seven, and Benjamin, who is three. Today on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast, I have the privilege and honor of introducing you to Deborah Jacobs. Thank you for joining us today as we have a conversation that can change the world. Hi, Angela. Hi, I'm so happy to have you with us today, Deborah. But to kick us off today, can you share a little bit about you, your family, and your story? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. So I am a single mother by choice, meaning that when a long-term relationship ended in my 30s, I realized that what I wanted more than anything was children. I wanted children more than a partner. And uh, that was, you know, my dream in life is to be, was to be a parent. Mm. But I spent a few years every night in bed, instead of sleeping, staring at the ceiling, wondering, can I do this alone? Can I afford to do it alone? Can I handle it alone, especially if I have more than one child? And once I made the decision to go ahead, everything sort of, I'm not going to say it fell into place. I then was able to take the actions that I had to take to make it fall into place. Mm. So I adopted my daughters and when they were babies and um, they're now 18 and 23. And when they were growing up, I ran a preschool Mm. and it was in the basement of my home and it was great. It allowed me to be here with my kids when they were little, to be home when they came home after school. I eventually, you know, hired teachers to work with me and that freed me up in the afternoons to be able to take my kids to their activities and to do, you know, the grocery shopping and other things that, that come with life and life as a single parent. 
And then when the pandemic hit, I saw an opportunity. I closed my preschool, sadly, but also I had had this little voice in my head that I had wanted to start a financial coaching business to help other people learn some of the things that I learned later in life because I ignored my finances for way too long. And, you know, when I finally started learning about them, once my kids were older and a little space opened up in my life, I had no idea that personal finance was so fascinating and that I, you know, I really loved it and started to transform my own life, which is still a work in progress, but we're getting there. Um, And so with the pandemic, I decided to kind of go all in with that. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Wow. That is an amazing, amazing story. And I really admire your passion and your heart for children and being willing to parent in this kind of unconventional way of choosing to raise these girls as your own um, and to just be an incredible mom right from the very beginning. So thank you so much for choosing to do that. Adoption is actually something that's been on my heart for a really, really long time. Um, But as uh, many of my listeners may know, I'm also a single mother. And um, so it's, it's been something I felt like I've kind of had to put on the back burner for a lot of the same reasons that you mentioned of just that financial piece is, it's, it, it can be a little bit intimidating and overwhelming to think about caring for this other life and knowing that that full burden of finances kind of rests on your shoulders and there's no one else really to help, you know, to help with that financial aspect. For sure. The financial piece is a big one. And, you know, what I came to realize is that if you want something badly enough, there's always a way. You might have to live differently than you thought you were going to live. You know, we all have this idea of how we're going to live our lives as adults. For many people, it's nice house in the suburbs with the white picket fence and, you know, married and, you know, 2.5 kids and a nice car and fancy vacations. And if you're willing to kind of put that lens, you know, change that lens a little bit and figure out what it is you want more than anything. For me, it was being a parent. Then you're willing to do things and live in a way that might be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So it might mean bringing a roommate in to reduce your housing costs. Mm -hmm. Uh, It might mean Um, you know, working an unconventional job so that you can spend a little bit more time with your children. It might mean starting a side hustle. Now you might say, oh my gosh, I'm working full time and I'm a single mom. How am I ever going to start a little side business? But, you know, maybe look at the amount of time that you're Social media and take a little bit of that and just, you know, baby steps a little bit every day could maybe build up to something. So I I just think that there are ways, there are ways to reduce daycare costs. There are ways to travel for nothing or next to not, maybe not nothing, but next to nothing. Really? There are just ways to do these things. Yes. That's, that's amazing. Um, So, yeah. So, I mean, like, let's take traveling, for example. I love to travel. Me too. And I didn't 
I didn't do this when my kids were little because I didn't know about it, Hmm. but I certainly would have. So just two examples of free travel. One is that there is an organization called Trusted House Sitters, Hmm. and it's a yearly fee of like, I don't know, 170 bucks or something. And so you pay that once and then you put a profile on the site and people list their homes all over the United States and all over the world. And basically what you need to do is pet sitting. You know, it's usually taking care of a dog or a cat or a couple of dogs or a couple of cats. And some of them are beautiful homes and a lot of people are just fine with your bringing young children, particularly Mm -hmm. if they have young children themselves and their house is set up for it. You stay for absolutely free. That is amazing. Yeah. I mean, absolutely free. Trusted house sitters. Yeah. That, that is going to be an amazing resource. I will definitely have to check that out because that has been, that has been a passion of mine. You know, we are, we, well, we are a world schooling family. And so we love to be able to go to different places in the world. Of course, now with COVID, it's a little bit more challenging, For sure. but, um, but that is an incredible resource. I will definitely have to check that out. And I will make sure that I put that link in the description. So anyone else who's interested in free travel opportunities or almost free travel opportunities, um, I will put that as a resource for you in the description of the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll give you one resource as well. Yes. Um, So if you are responsible with credit cards, that's a big if. If you are not, do not do this. But if you can do three things, the first is always pay your bill on time. Always, always, always never be a day late. Number two is don't use the credit card for anything you wouldn't ordinarily use it for. Don't say, oh, I have a credit card. I can go buy that expensive thing that I wanted and just pay it off over time. No, no, no. Only only what you would buy anyway. And um, number, let's see. So that's uh, uh, pay it off on time. Um, For some reason, I'm having a brain freeze about the third, but it will come to me. If you're totally responsible about your credit cards, then you can get credit cards that offer large bonuses for points. Mm. And there are free courses online for how to do this. It's totally legit. And I sent my daughter for a college semester in New Zealand for less than $100 in fees, plane trip from US to New Zealand and back. My two daughters, yeah, are now one's in Colorado, one's in San Francisco. I helped my daughter get her apartment set up in San Francisco. We flew out for free. I flew back for free. And both of my kids are coming home for winter break for free and flying back for free. Using credit cards responsibly and in a way that I would only use them anyway and, you know, not holding a balance, paying them off. That's the third thing. You pay it in full every month, not just, you know, you pay it on time, but you also pay it in full every month. So you're not being charged any interest. Exactly. So when I say free, it's not totally free. There are fees. So I think it cost us like 20 bucks to go to San Francisco and back. Mm -hmm. I mean, but still that is, that is incredible compared to what most people, you know, would spend hundreds of dollars and and then even more once you're there, of course. Um, but right. to be able to, to 
to travel for such low cost. That's amazing. Those will definitely be great resources. And then is there a specific credit card that you would recommend? Well, I think, uh, you know, one that everybody says is wonderful and I have it and I love it is Chase Sapphire Preferred credit card. They give a big sign up bonus. So that means that you, if you're approved for the card, you get the card. And then if you spend a certain amount in the first three months, then you get like 80,000 points, which can take you a lot of places. Mm. Um, so it's the sign up bonuses that that um, can get you what now again, you don't want to go out in those first three months and spend more than you ordinarily would spend. But you can go buy gift cards at the grocery store you use because you know, you're going to have to buy groceries the rest of the year, right? Mm. So you know, things like that. But there, you know, I'm not an expert in this. I'm still learning, but it's really benefited me. And I can share with you after the name of the free online course to take to learn how to do this that you can put in your show notes or, um, you know, share with your audience. That would be wonderful. I'm sure there are many people that would love to check that out and be able to have access to those resources. So anyway, the whole point of all of this was there is usually a way to do what is deepest in your heart. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a way to figure it out if you're willing to do things a little bit differently than how you grew up expecting that you would. And I noticed that um, you, know, you said that when you're when you were raising your daughters, you opened up a preschool business. Um, I'm assuming that you did that with the intention of being able to be at home with your children. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. So I, I'm an education person. I have my education masters. I was working in a nonprofit with adults uh, for many years who were new to the country and, you know, teaching English as a second language and small nonprofits. So I wore many hats, but once my baby came along, I really wanted to spend more time with her. And so I kind of watched what happened at she, I I sent her to a family childcare, not far from where I worked. And I thought to myself, I, I I don't want to sound, you know, snooty here, but I thought to myself, I can do this better. You know, I can do this and I can do this better. So, um, so I planned and planned and planned and planned. And I opened up my childcare program in my house. And the first couple of years were terribly hard because Mm -hmm. I very naively thought that my daughter would love being home with me. And she would, if she were home with me without a bunch of other kids Uh, wanting her mom's attention. (laughs) So um, yeah, my second daughter, it's all she ever knew. So she she would ask me on the weekends, mom, is it a school day or a family day? And I'd say it's a family day. And she'd say, oh, you know, she, she <laughs> loved it from the get go, but yeah. my older daughter, not so much, mm. but, um, but yeah, it actually, it, so it started off this little, I started off doing it in our living space, which was super hard. And then I renovated my basement after a couple of years and, you know, it's not at all basementy. It's a very beautiful space. And it was, it's preschool, you know, child size sinks and book corner and blocks room and eating and art area. And, you know, um, so it, it, it worked really well for our lives and it was work that I liked doing. And I learned a lot 
got to work with many families. I did a lot of parent coaching and, um, and it was actually a great environment for my girls to grow up in because we had a lot of dinner conversations about what's causing certain behavior. Mm. What would you do in this situation? And, you know, how can we help a child to learn this or learn that? And, you know, lo and behold, my older daughter's a teacher now, but not a little kids. (laughs) (laughs) That's wonderful. So your children attended the preschool and then did they go to public school once they were old enough or how did their educational journey evolve? Yeah. So they went to Uh, Well, my older daughter, after the first year, you know, when you first start out with a childcare program, it's, it's hard, you know, you don't have a reputation and people don't know you. And so I didn't really have the age of the children I wanted to have. I really wanted to have a preschool and I was working with younger children at that time. So the second year, my daughter was, you know, almost four turning four in September and all of the other kids I had would be just two. Mm. And she, so I ended up sending her out to a private preschool, which she loved and was wonderful. And then she went to public school after that. And my younger daughter was with me right through getting ready for kindergarten. And then she went to public school. Mm. So they went to public school until both of them homeschooled for seventh and eighth grades. Hmm. And then they went back to public school. That's interesting. Why did you choose to homeschool your children for seventh and eighth grade? Well, for my older daughter, our choices for her weren't great. I mean, she there were certain interests that she had that I just knew weren't going to be met. In school, she loved to write and she would never have time to write if she were, you know, yeah. doing all the homework and yeah. all of that. And she she just needed a break from school. You know, I kind of think all kids need a break from school <laughs> at one point or another, but she needed a break from school and she we needed to shore up some areas that she needed, uh, you know, that she was struggling with a little bit and really have her fly ahead in the areas that she loved and that she, you know, was doing really well with. And it was really, it was a little hard. I had to cut back my hours in my preschool and have my teachers take over a little bit more. So it was a bit of a financial hit for me. But again, anything you really want to do, you just have to decide what's the most important thing. And she also was involved with other local homeschooling kids. So she went to a writing group and she went ice skating every week with some homeschooling kids. And so she did some things out of the house. And then I also gave her things that, you know, to do on her own. And then we spent a couple of days a week together, either doing field trips or, you know, working on whatever she was working on. Uh And then my younger daughter, I think she wanted to homeschool because her older sister homeschooled and that was fine with me. So, yeah. (laughs) And so what, um, how did you decide to have them go back to public school? Yeah, I think for my older daughter, both of them wanted to, they were, you know, they really liked homeschooling. They liked having their own schedule. They, but, um, 
there were things about school that they missed. And I think they both wanted to have the high school experience. Now, my older daughter ended up really not liking high school very much. She was very critical and, you know, with good reason of the educational system Mm -hmm. and of the way kids were, you know, the mountains of homework and the push, 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 push to have kids in AP classes. And she hung around with very high achieving kids. And it was all about the A, you know, all the conversations with her friends were about the A. And she was like, oh, can they just stop, please? Can't we just like learn something? Can't we just do something? Cause it's interesting to do. And Mm -hmm. so she felt a little bit like a, square peg in a round hole in high school. And she actually ended up going to a semester school for half of her junior year, where she left high school and went to Northern Wisconsin to a place called the Conserve School, where she and all the other kids there were there because they were really interested in environmental sustainability. Mm. And so it was very alternative education. And that was kind of just the tonic she needed to get her through the rest of high school. Do you think that her experience with homeschooling kind of helped to give her that different perspective when she returned? I, I do. I mean, I think it, um, I, I think she is who she is and I think she would have been having these thoughts and we would have been having these discussions anyway, but I definitely think the experience of homeschooling and, you know, so, um, you know, one of the, for example, um, a couple of the things she did homeschooling, she wrote a novella when she was in eighth grade, um, which she never would have done. And she was really interested in crime. And Mm -hmm. I think for the sake of maybe writing a crime story, but boy, the things that she did that she never would have done in, in regular school, you know, she, she sat in a murder trial. Um, she, my uncle happens to be a criminal defense lawyer. So, Uh you know, she sat in one of his, he happened to have a trial going on. So she sat in the trial, she toured the police station and got to see exactly what happened when somebody was arrested and actually sat in one of the holding cells Mm. and, you know, all of that. She interviewed a local DA. She went to, um, we sat in court one day, just civil court, just to see what that was like. She um, interviewed a young woman who was studying forensics. I mean, she just, it was, it was really great. She just ran with it and did things that she wouldn't, it wasn't unschooling. You know, I think if I had started from the very beginning, I probably would have considered unschooling. And I think the beginning of both of their seventh grade years were a bit of un- rather de-schooling more than unschooling. Yeah. Um, what is the and, difference for you between de-schooling and unschooling? Well, as I understand it, unschooling is very much child-led. That children are naturally curious and have interests and fantastic to help them follow their interests and they they will learn what they need to learn to pursue those interests Mm -hmm. so um correct me if i'm wrong but that's my understanding of unschooling and de-schooling is more when someone has been in an environment that may be a little toxic um maybe weighing on their soul for one reason or another 
mm-hmm. um, may have all sorts of cultural and societal expectations that aren't necessarily humane ones mm-hmm. or even human ones, but <laughs> they their expectations nonetheless. And school can be very heavy and anxiety provoking. And, you know, we have rampant anxiety and depression among school kids in the United States. Mm -hmm. So de-schooling is more a period of starting to breathe again and letting that go and really starting to trust yourself again and being able to um, pick up a book because boy, doesn't that look interesting instead of, oh, I have a paper to write on this. Yeah. That was an absolutely beautiful description of both e-schooling. Oh, thank and you. <laughs> I have to write that down because I don't think I could have said it better myself. That was brilliant. Thank you. And it sounds like what your daughter was experiencing was a little bit of both, you know, that yeah. decompressing and kind of a recovery almost from a lot of the trauma that, that children experience in public school. And then as well as that unschooling piece of, of pursuing those interests and those passions that she really was fascinated about with, you know, being able to have those real life experiences. And um, that's actually something that's, that's very near and dear to my heart is, you know, I truly believe that children learn best when they are able to have those real life, real world, meaningful experiences And they can start to think and live and dream outside of this educational box that we try to squeeze them into with, you know, homework and all these other things. And I can't tell you how many children I've met that I feel like would could so relate to your daughter and just having that passion for writing. And then I don't know what we do in school, but it's like, we just kill the love of writing. I mean, we just whack it with a hammer over and over. (laughs) It's so true. And I'm just like, oh my goodness, you know, if we could truly give children the freedom to write about what they love, we could restore that, that love of writing for them. Um, Absolutely. It definitely sounds like your daughter was able to get both of those, the de-schooling and the unschooling. So that's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't all roses. Um, you know, like anything in life. And there, there were a couple of, it it wasn't total unschooling. I mean, with the expectation that she had, that she was going back to high school, she had to keep up with math because that's cumulative. And, you know, so there were, there were things that she had to do, but that both of them had to do. But um, I think all in all, it was, I'm just so glad we did it. I'm so glad we did it. And I would have been delighted to continue, but they both wanted to go back to school. Yeah. Well, and and that's beautiful too, that you're able to be flexible and be responsive to the things that your children are expressing that are their desires and their passions. And you actually touched on this a little bit earlier where you were mentioning your daughters, you know, having their own kind of unique passions and gifts and how a lot of times that school environment doesn't really give them those opportunities to be able to explore those talents and gifts, perhaps in the way that, that 
that would really help foster those, those gifts. And actually I was talking to a mom the other day and we were talking about how so many times if a child is struggling with something, they'll hire a tutor, you know, if it's math or something, they'll hire a tutor to help them with math, but they're really gifted and talented in maybe art or, or writing as your daughter was. And it's like, why do we hire the math tutor? Like if my child's really gifted and strong in writing or art or music or any of these other kind of creative spheres that we neglect a lot, you know, I, I would want to hire someone that could help inspire them to grow in their strengths and the things that they are passionate about. Yes, I agree. And my, my younger daughter's a dancer and uh-huh. it's what she, you know, from when she almost before she could walk, I mean, it's really all she's ever wanted to do. And she, she's right now in San Francisco training to be a professional dancer and uh-huh. So again, this kind of ties into the whole like societal expectation versus really being in relationship with your child. Mm -hmm. And I, I know dance is an incredibly hard thing to break into, even if you're super talented, even if you're super committed, because there are a lot of talented, committed dancers who don't make it. Mm -hmm. And yet there's nothing I want more than my daughter living the life that she is being pulled to and giving it her all and, you know, pursuing her dream. And that's what she's doing. And she convinced me, you know, she has the rest of her life to go to college and I support her a hundred percent. And so all along the way, you know, it's funny. I would ask her every year at the beginning of, of the dance year, you know, I'd say, you don't have to keep dancing. If you don't want to, you know, you're more than a dancer. You can do other things. And she would look at me like I had three heads, like, are you <laughs> out of your mind? Not but that was okay with me because I wanted it to come from her. You know, I wanted her to know that no matter what she did, it was okay with me that, you know, yeah. I wouldn't be disappointed if she decided to go in, a, in another direction. Yeah. And um, so it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy for her because it's, it's all pulled from, from her heart. Yeah. Was that difficult for you though, when your when your daughter said that she didn't want to go to college? I mean, I know you mentioned society's expectations, um, but sometimes I, I feel like as parents, we have our own expectations of what we expect our child's life to look like, you yeah. know, and, it, and it's hard to let go of those expectations and just to embrace who they are and the choices that they're making for themselves and for their own life along the way. How was that for you processing or did you have those expectations that she would go to college or was that difficult for you to, to adjust your own expectations for her? You know, we can espouse all day long how, you know, open we are to all sorts of things. And then when it comes to our children, there is this little piece of us all, I think, maybe some people know, certainly for me, that is like, am I doing the right thing? Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't so much that I had an expectation that she would go to college and I wanted her to go to college. It was more of like 
am by encouraging her to pursue dance, am I setting her up for disappointment? Am I, you know, what is her life going to be like? And I finally just stopped doing that and calmed down and just said, if it doesn't work, she'll do something else. She's Mm -hmm. resilient. She's strong. She'll be disappointed and down for a while. And then she'll bounce back and find something else that maybe she doesn't have the same depth of passion for, but that she likes doing and life will be fine. And so, you know, and again, she's right. She does have the rest of her life to go to college. There isn't just one path. I mean, if I've learned anything from going down the single mom by choice route and, you know, opening my own business and then opening a second business, it's that, you know, there's not one route in life. We don't have to follow one route. We can, we can go, we can follow our own dreams and desires Mm -hmm. and make it work. That's beautiful. And I think I can tell very much from just the way that you speak about your, both of your daughters that you really you want them to be able to discover their own unique path. But at the same time, I can tell that your relationship with them is something that is, that is really important to you. Um, You know, choosing to be a mom by, by a single mom by choice from the very beginning. And then all these other little choices that you've made along the way, just to help, um, you know, grow a positive relationship with your daughters. And um, I, I don't know if any of my listeners are familiar with the term relation-based or relationship-based parenting. Uh, would you be able to share with us a little bit more about what relationship-based parenting is and maybe what are some of those basic practices? Sure. So, I mean, it's just a term I made up because I believe that that is such an important basis of raising children. Mm -hmm. So if we look at raising children from the viewpoint of building strong relationships with them, then we start putting aside, again, what we've learned and what society expects. Like, let's just look at one little example. And that might be, time out or taking privileges away from kids when they're not, you know, doing what we want them to do. So of course, you know, parents are told you, you have to discipline your children. You, you know, you have to put them in time out, take their phone away, take their this away or that away. And if you look at parenting from a point of view of your relationship, Mm -hmm. rethink that. And you say, okay, what was the behavior? Why are they doing it? And how can we build trust so that we change things? If I put my child in timeout or I take something away, that might work in the short term. Mm -hmm. And they may think, you know, we think that they're going to sit in timeout and think about, oh, I did something wrong. I'm not going to do that again. When in fact, what they're thinking is I hate mom, you know, why is she putting me in time (laughs) out? You know, they're, they're not thinking about improving their behavior, but if we think about building our relationship, we may sit down with them. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. We may have, I mean, of course, with little kids, it's a little bit different. We do things a little bit differently than with older kids that we can have relationships with. Mm -hmm. Um, Let me give you an older kid example. Okay. So my younger daughter is constitutionally unable to turn the light off when she leaves her room. (laughs) She just can't. And it drives me crazy. And so, you know, I could say, turn the stupid light off already, you know, or why can't you remember to turn the light off? Or if you don't turn that light off, I'm going to do this, that, or the other thing. Mm -hmm. And instead, what I learned to do over time was say to her, lights on in your room. And she would laugh and I would laugh. (laughs) And she would go, you know, because she knew it drove me crazy. Uh And she would go and turn the light off. And that's one tiny little example Mm -hmm. of thinking about how can we, how can we be in relationship with our children and, Mm -hmm. and build that kind of relationship so that they'll come and talk to us about the hard things so that they won't be afraid to do that. And I've had conversations with my kids about almost everything. Wow. So is it possible to parent without punishment? I think it is. I actually think it is. Um, And I actually think it's beneficial to parent without punishment. And I know that's heresy to a lot of people. (laughs) But now, if you have a child who's tantruming and throwing things, of course, you're going to pick that child up, remove them from the situation, even if they don't want to be removed. And what I used to do is do kind of a time in, you know, where I would sit with them um, and restrain if I have to, if they're being unsafe to themselves or somebody else. If they're just lying on the floor tantruming, you know, kicking and screaming, but not. I would always say something like, you know, I can't help you when you're screaming and shouting, but I'm here for a hug as soon as you're finished. Mm -hmm. And when you're ready, we'll talk. And then I would just go off and do my thing. And, you know, now, am I the perfect parent? Absolutely not. I mean, there were times this has evolved over time. There were times in their childhood when I did take things away or yell or whatever, because we're human and, you know, we're all going to do that. So we need to forgive ourselves and then apologize. You know, I'm really sorry. I yelled. I got very frustrated with this or that or the other thing. And yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, you know, I had a conversation with my daughter the other day that um, she was telling me something. And then she laughed and she said, none of my friends would tell their mom what I just told you. (laughs) And I said, really? And she said, yeah, their parents would flip out. Mm. And so I I don't know. I just feel like I would much rather have the kind of relationship with my kids where they can tell me things. They know what I approve of and what I don't disapprove of. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about it. And they're going to make mistakes and that's okay too. But, you know, if I grounded them when they were teens and took stuff (laughs) away, I don't think we would have the relationship that Mm -hmm. we have now. And they're both great kids, you know, they're. Yeah. So that's so true. When I, you know, when I was growing up, especially in my teen years, um, I found that I, 
I really struggled a lot with, you know, growing up with my parents that had punished me all the time. And whenever I would find myself in trouble, it was like, they were not a safe place for me to go to whenever I was having a a problem, because I would tell them I would end up in trouble. And, and so that kind of, you know, me versus you relationship, as opposed to, and this is an us versus this problem, sort of a relationship, it really makes it difficult to have that foundation of trust that I can say, okay, if I do have a problem, I can, I I am safe. It is okay for me to go to my parents. And I know that even if they were to disagree with me or, you know, be sad by my choice or disappointed or whatever, I know that there are people that are there to help me no matter what. And Yeah. and, Yeah. I, I, it's a big foundation for, for my desire to do that with my own daughter, you know, cause I was like, I want her to be able to come to me when she's a teenager and having these, you know, bigger problems, um, that she'll be able to trust that I'm a safe place for her to go to and that I'm here to help her and not to punish her. Yeah. I mean, it makes me so sad to hear that. And I think that your story is typical. I mean, I think it's really, really uncommon for people, I mean, more common today, but uncommon in general for people to parent without punishment and with safety and with relationship, which I just want to clarify, doesn't mean not setting boundaries at all. It doesn't mean being the kind of parent that kids can walk all over. And, you know, I said no to my kids a lot, but it was always with the you know, like, let's just take an example when kids are little and going to the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Okay. And there are kids who go to the grocery store with you and they want 15 candy bars and they want the potato chips and they're going to have a big, huge meltdown. So I'd always prepare my kids, you know, as a single mom, I had to take them with me. I didn't yeah. have somebody else at home to leave them at home with. Yeah. So I'd always prepare them and say, we're going to the grocery store. I will, sometimes I would say, I will get you one thing. It's not going to be a candy bar. You know, I'd be very clear about what I would get them. Um, And if there's any upset about that, we're going to have to leave and we're going to have to go home without the food. And, you know, we're going to have to figure something out because we're not going to be able to go back. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I was just really clear with them about what would happen and why? Because we're yeah. a team here. Of course we have to. And then I'd give them little yeah. jobs once they got old enough. Can you go find three apples, you know, three really good apples and you go here and find this and that. And yeah. So I love that you were able to bring them in. And I think that part of communicating to them in advance, communicating to children in advance is so important. A lot of times we don't even think about the fact that even though our children are small, even at, you know, one or two years old, three years old, like it makes a real difference when we can communicate with them. This is what I'm going to be doing, or this is what we are going to be doing in five minutes or 10 minutes. And this is what you can expect. And this is how it's going to go. And, you know, these are some choices that you can have while you're here in this space. And, um, and yeah, I definitely would try to do a lot of those same things to, you know, going grocery shopping with my kids. It was, Um, you know, there were, and and I had to learn too, like there were some times that I would go to the grocery store and she would have a meltdown and and I would have to have an opportunity to reflect and say, okay, I went to the grocery store and she hasn't had a nap yet. And she hasn't had lunch. And I kind of set myself up for this, you know, it wasn't, 
her fault having this meltdown. Like I made these choices that totally contributed to her having this epic right. meltdown in the middle of Walmart, yeah. you know, and being able to figure out our own groove. Um, but then of course, as they get older, it is nice that they can kind of help chip in a little bit more yeah. and be a part of those things. And, um, but I think, you know, the more that we can communicate with our children and not just communicate, but also giving them choices in, in yes. what we're doing throughout our day. Right. Um, I think that really, really makes a big difference in them not feeling like they're just being dragged all over the place. Yes. And, um, yes. Yeah. I think that's so true. And I would always thank my kids too. Thank you so much for helping me in the grocery store. It would be so much harder to do it by myself. And uh-huh. as they got older, sometimes that was true, mm-hmm. you know, um, that we did it much faster when we went as a team and, you know, got different things and flew through the grocery store. So I always yeah. tried to remember to thank my kids for helping out and, you know, being part of the team. And then the other piece that I think is really important that's so hard to do in the moment when your kid's melting down. So I totally understand when parents react with yelling or whatever. I've been there. But if we can take a deep breath and remember to empathize first, if we can just have this mantra in front of us, you know, empathy first, that goes a long way. So that might look like something, you know, but I want cookies and I want them now. Oh, you really want cookies. I wish I could give them to you. You know, that would be so great. Here, help me with getting the dishes on the table or whatever. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. you're absolutely right. You know, instead of just kind of brushing their feelings to the side, but I, I feel like when we can show empathy, it gives children that space to show what well, one that we validate whatever they're feeling, that whatever they're feeling is okay to feel what they're feeling. Yeah. And two, that we can show compassion and that we, I understand how you're feeling and I'm here with you. I'm not going to dismiss you. I'm not going to say, oh, you shouldn't feel like that or stop crying or stop whining. No, I get it. There are some days I really want a cookie too, you know? Yes. Um, and, and I feel sad. And, and especially as our children are growing up, being able to help them kind of express those emotions and communicate those emotions is such a huge part of their, their growth and development. And, you know, cause of course they're, when they're born, they don't have any language at all to express right. how they're feeling like they have, they have no words. And so right. that's part of our job as parents is to help them have words to express how they're feeling. Uh, I yeah. can't how many adults I feel like need help with expressing how they're feeling me included. You're so right. And you know, it's things like you can feel however you want. It's totally okay to feel angry, but you have to express it differently. You yeah. can't hit your sister, you know, yeah. you, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. And it's okay to be sad that you didn't get right. that cookie and right. we're not going to knock right. this over in the store, you know? Right. <laughs> um, right. But yeah. And I think that's that, that beautiful balance of, of caring about the individual, um, showing compassion, showing empathy, but at the same time, having those boundaries for them that, you yes. know, yes, I can care about you. I can show empathy for how you're feeling, but I'm not just going to let you act in any, <laughs> any kind of destructive or harmful way. Right. Yes. That can be, that can definitely be very, very challenging. Um, very so- ch- none of this is easy. Although I will say the more you practice it, the more natural it feels. When we've grown up in an environment of yelling or an environment of punishment, 
it feels very unnatural for us. And we, and it's especially hard when we're in front of other people who think we should be harder on our kids. Yes. So, you know, going to grandma and grandpa's and your kid melts down and you empathize and hug instead of punish, Mm. you're might hear from grandma and grandpa, you know, you're too soft on that kid. And then it brings, especially if you're single, it brings in all sorts of thoughts and emotions about. Am I doing a good job? uh, Maybe it would be different and and all of that. And I think the more you do it and the more you see the relationship that you're building with your child and the more your child comes to you with these thoughtful conversations and, you know, as you see this development unfold and you see your child blooming in such a, you know, difficult, but wonderful way, because no childhood is easy. No adolescence is easy, but they can be absolutely wonderful. Um, then you feel stronger and you feel more able to say, I'm doing this my way instead of, instead of feeling like I have to come down hard on my kid because, you know, grandpa's going to think I'm a softy. How do you handle when you do have relatives or, I mean, I know of several people that it's not just grandma and grandpa, but it's their, their spouse that's hard, doesn't understand. How do you navigate when there are people that are very important in your life and your family that don't understand why you would want to parent without punishment? I, that's a really hard one. If you're talking about your spouse, Mm -hmm. because that is, it's just so important to show a united front. And if one parent is parenting one way and another parent is parenting another way that sets you both up for failure. And so that's just conversations. It could even be going to parenting classes together. Mm. You know, if, if your spouse is open to that or working with a parent coach together um, and try asking your spouse, are you willing to try it this way for three months and let's see what happens. And then hopefully after three months, you see some results because sometimes these (laughs) things take a long time. And with the understanding that nothing is smooth sailing, you know, you're going to still have upsets and behavior you don't like, but, um, you know, that doesn't mean you have to spank or you have to punish or you have to come down hard. Yeah. And actually that's exactly why I wrote my very first book. Um, it's called gospel-based parenting. And, um, I actually, I kind of stumbled my way into gentle parenting because I grew up being spanked as a child and I was like, well, I turned out great. So I'm going to spank my child. Um, but then when, when my daughter was around one year old, a little over one, I started really thinking practically like, okay, how do I spank her? You know, how does this work? Um, and so I started reading the Bible to try to figure out how I could spank her the way that the Bible said. And I learned very quickly that the Bible actually doesn't advocate for spanking or hitting children at all. Um, and for me, it was absolutely mind blowing to be able to see that all these verses that I had heard, well, there's four of them, but the four verses that people use to defend this practice of hitting children as a form of discipline. Um, when I realized that we had been misinterpreting these passages for 
decades because we just didn't understand the original language. I was like, oh my gosh, every parent needs to know this. And so I wrote my book and um, and at the end of every chapter, I included those discussion questions because I, I know how important it is for a husband and a wife to be on the same page when it comes to this issue. Um, and to be able to have kind of this neutral way that people can read what the Bible says and then have these kind of guided questions to help them process through what they're thinking, what they're reading, what their own experiences are, what our own biases are, you know, cause we all have our own biases that we bring to parents right. from our own upbringing or different ideas or expectations that we have, like you mentioned, and being able to really look at, you know, what are my expectations or what are my biases or how have I been influenced to have these ideas about what a parent child relationship should look like. And right. um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm really glad that you found that in whatever form you find it. You found it in the Bible. I found it. It, it just didn't feel natural to me, but also in science. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot, there are a lot of studies yeah. that show that spanking is detrimental. You know, mm -hmm. again, it can work in the short term, but when you really think about it, does it make sense to hit children to teach them not to hit? No, <laughs> no. Does it make no, sense? We want our children to be nonviolent and yet we're disciplining them with violence and the, uh, and we pick people and say, Oh, it's not violence. I'm giving them a little tap on the tush, you know, mm -hmm. but I think that most spanking happens not in a little tap thoughtful way. Mm -hmm. Most spanking happens because the parents angry. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm not saying, I mean, my personal viewpoint is that any spanking is abuse. Other people don't feel that way, but you know, when you're spanking a child because you're angry with them, that's a very, very different experience than saying, I'm really angry with you right now. I'm going in my room for a few minutes so I can calm down. And we're going to talk about this later. Mm -hmm. Impact is greater. You mm -hmm. know, your child knows that yeah. you're angry and they're like, Ooh, you know, um, and they know when they speak with you, I think it's that old thing that, you know, oh, I was I'm so disappointed is much more powerful than getting, especially if it's used sparingly, yeah. um, than getting a spanking. Absolutely. And it's interesting because the other day I was talking to this lady and I was sharing with her about how, you know, I, the, the same thing, like I, I truly believe that that spanking is abusive, even though the way that I was, spanked, I wouldn't have called it abusive at the time. Um, but now looking back, I can see that it, it truly was an abusive way to interact with with a child. Nice. Um, and I, and she said, Oh, you know, there you're just, um, you know, hitting isn't spanking. And I remember just saying to her, well, please explain to me, how can you spank a child without hitting them? Like that's what's the difference, kind of right. The point, right? Like, you know, regardless of the intention or how, right. how, you know, in my own experience, my parents would sit me down and say, you know, this is why we're going to spank you. And, you know, I'm spanking you because I love you. And then they would spank me and then they would hug me and tell me that they love me. And that was why they spanked me. Um, it's kind of a mixed message. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and looking back, I'm like, man, like instead of handling it in that way, like 
they really could have just had a conversation with me. Like what, what is the point of hitting a child, as you mentioned, to teach them not to hit or hitting a child to teach them to trust you, to be honest about something or hitting a child in order to encourage them to speak with you with kindness or not talk back, you know, like it just, I don't see the logic in it any anymore, but um, but and, it is hard. Yeah. I mean, in teaching children to speak to you with respect, that's a long-term project. Yeah. You know, it, it, there's no overnight magic pill and yeah. spanking certainly isn't it. Yeah. And so that's just a process over and over again. When you say things like happy to respond to you, when you speak to me like this, and then mm-hmm. you model exactly the voice and the words that you want them to say. Yeah. And you just do that over and over again until eventually you start hearing it, but it, it's a long-term project. Yep. We do. We'll do something similar. I'll say like, Oh, that hurts my ears when you talk yeah. to me like that, or I have yeah. a hard time understanding you when you say it that way. Right. Can you try this? Um, yeah. And we do a lot of like, try again, do overs yeah. um, and, and not just do overs for them. But I, earlier you mentioned something about the importance of like, when you fail, when you mess up, being able to apologize and have grace, not only for your kids, but also for yourself. Yes. And that's a, that's a hard, that's a hard one for me. Cause I'm like, yeah. I really want to be a great mom. Um, I want to be the best mom that I can be. And yet I do find that there are times when, when I fail, you know, when I will react instead of respond or I will yell when I'm want to communicate with kindness. And um, I have a question for you. Yes. Are you a human being? Yes, <laughs> you know, you're going to react, yeah, especially when you're tired mm-hmm. and you know you're on your last nerve and you've had a bad day. You're you're going to react. The relationship-based parenting doesn't mean that you're perfect all the time. And you actually don't want to model that for your kids because they don't want to like think their mom doesn't have emotions, you know, that. And, and it's totally okay. And you just say afterwards, ah, oh, I, I apologize. I'm really sorry. I yelled. I'm very tired. I would even sometimes say to my kids, you know, it really wasn't about you. It was about me. Sometimes it was about them, but, mm-hmm. but you know, if it wasn't, if it was just that I was super tired and no matter what they said, I was going to react. Mm-hmm. Just say, you know, I'm really sorry you had to experience that. I, I didn't mean to yell. I'll try to do better next time. Um, everybody gets, you know, everybody loses it sometimes. And yeah. I hope you forgive me. So um, I, I did have another question for you too. So my, my daughter is seven and I'm kind of at the, I guess I'm at the beginning, you could say of this gentle parenting journey, even though we're seven years in now. Yeah. Um, but I know, as a, you know, as a woman <laughs> that had difficult relationship with my mom, especially during my teen years, um, I hear a lot of people talk about how, you know, it's just normal that teenagers and especially teenage girls and their moms will have conflict and strife. And I'm wondering, has that been your experience? Like, is, is that all that moms have to look forward to, to the teenage years, just conflict and strife with your daughters? Nope. No, <laughs> doesn't, doesn't have to be that way. Now, teenagers have hormones raging through their body that they are going to change their mood on a dime. Mm-hmm. 
So you're going to be having this wonderful conversation with them. And all of a sudden you're going to say something that you had no idea was triggering and they're going to run off into their bedroom and slam their door. And, you know, that kind of stuff is going to happen because they're experiencing huge changes in their bodies, in their minds, all of that. However, it is not a given that you are going to be in constant conflict with your teenager. And if you start now to build that kind of relationship where it's okay to talk about anything, where you're not going to be phased by anything, where you definitely have expectations of her, but you're not, you know, your identity isn't tied up in her succeeding in whatever, you know, I mean, for people whose kids are in school, sometimes that means being the top student and getting the A's for kids in athletics. It might mean being the team captain and, you know, being really good at whatever sport they're doing. Your identity is not tied up in that. And you, you know, need to let her know that, that she is fine just the way she is. And if you as I said, start now building that trusting relationship, laughing together, having firm expectations, but not punishing and not coming down hard, not grounding, not taking things away, but having conversations. And when the, and sometimes it means just allowing the storm to pass, you know, sometimes there's a storm and once it passes and you sit down together with whatever it is that's comforting for you, maybe it's a bowl of popcorn or, you know, whatever it may be. And you sit down together and you go, that was really upsetting, wasn't it? You know, I'm sorry that was so hard for you. How do you think we can do better next time? Mm. And you have those kinds of conversations and you have dinner conversations about, you know, things that happened during the day or things that are happening in the world and how people are treating each other and how people could treat each other better. And how would you, what would you do differently in that situation? Or, you know, what would you do if you were that person? And you just foster those kinds of conversations. And we definitely had some storms during adolescence, but I think that they were mild compared to what some people experience and our relationship, my relationship with my kids was always strong. Wow. That's, that's a huge inspiration. I feel like it's a weight off of my shoulders. Cause I, I've definitely been feeling that, like, I feel anxiety already thinking about like, oh my gosh, I wonder what her teenage years will be like, or, you know, we spend all this time trying to cultivate a positive relationship now. And I, and I just, I have no idea what it will look like, you know, when it, gets to that point in time, but it's so encouraging to hear that it doesn't have to be, um, you know, the, the stereotypical conflict between moms and their daughters that we so often hear about, um, or just expect to experience. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that at all. And, you know, teenagers are fabulous. They're passionate. They're so much ahead of them. And many of them are social justice warriors. I mean, they're, you know, they see what's wrong in the world and they want to change things and that's to be encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. Um, I'm wondering if you have any particular resources that have really helped you in your journey and 
in becoming a relationship-based parent or a gentle parent? Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, I have pulled from so many mentors and books and, and uh, I mean, just one that I can think of right off the top of my head, a book that I really liked when my kids were little was um, How to Talk So Kids Will Listen and Listen So Kids Will Talk. And I think oh, there are some, that. aren't they great? Did you have oh, you read them? Good. I have, yes. Yeah, I mean, they're very earthy you know they're very like down home they're like hand-drawn cartoons in them and yeah (laughs) but but they're they're they have such wisdom you know they're such they're such great books so that's one that I can think of just off the top of my head um and there have just been so many people that you know, I picked up a little piece here or a little piece there. Uh-huh. Uh, one, I, I forget the name of the guy. He was from Tufts, but he talked about, um, I think he called it floor time. Have you ever heard of it? I, I don't think so. This is something I did with my kids when they were your kid's age. Okay. And it's 20 minutes at night. Now you're homeschooling, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you may not need to do this, but particularly with for families whose kids are in school and, you know, they really feel like they need to build that relationship to set a timer for 20 minutes every night and absolutely whatever it is the child wants to do, you do. There are Mm -hmm. no computers, no phones, no electronics of any kind. And if the child wants to draw and color, you draw and color. If the child wants to play, as my daughter did for about a year and a half, library and take every book in the house and put them on the table and then, you know, come and have me come and choose books and check them out, you do that. You know, if there's sometimes kids are working through things through play. So, you know, if there's something that they're playing over and over again, that would be really interesting to look at and try to, you know, figure out what it is that's so fascinating about it. But 20 minutes attention totally on them. You are not directing whatever they want to do and let them know when the timer ends, we're finished and it's time for bath and bedtime story in bed or, or whatever it is. So that was another one that had a big influence on me, just like thinking about cordoning off some time Mm. out of our busy days. That's just totally focused on basically your relationship with your child. Yeah. Would you do that with both of the girls at the same time? Or would you have like a separate time with each one? Ideally separate with each one, but as a single parent, almost impossible to do. So when they were little, we did it together as they got older and were able to um, entertain themselves for 20 minutes and understood that they were next. Mm -hmm. We did that. Okay. That's a wonderful strategy. And I'll make sure that I share that as well. And if you happen to think of any other books or resources or tips um, that you would like for me to share with my audience, please feel free to let me know. And I'll make sure that I add that to the, to the show notes as well, so that we can start to build up this collection of resources that can support all of us as we are continuing on in this journey to be gentle relationship-based parents. Excellent. Uh, And I I wanted to ask you as well, I know that you mentioned that you're starting your new business or you started a business last Mm -hmm. year. Is that correct? Yes. 
Yes. Okay. So I wanted to give you a little bit of time. If you could please just share with us a little bit more about what that business is and how you might be able to support my listeners in their financial goals. Sure. So I'm a financial coach and that's different from a financial advisor. So financial planners and advisors usually help people who have significant assets with investing and managing their money. And financial coaches work with people who have dreams and goals or maybe experiencing some fear or shame or overwhelm around their money. And we work more on the let's master your money. So we work on budgeting. We look at expenses. We look at even, you know, income and increasing income if that's something that you think is necessary. We look at paying down savings plans and setting specific goals and working towards them. Um, and so we work more on like putting systems into place and the day-to-day money mastery and also work on mindset. You know, we talked a little bit at the beginning of this conversation about like ways of thinking about being a single parent. It's sort of the same thing with money. We have these stories that we've been told all our lives about money and how we should be with money and how we should deal with money. And those stories can really hold us back from living the life we want to live. Mm -hmm. So if anybody is interested in learning more about financial coaching, they can certainly go to my website, um, you know, or contact me directly. And I'm, I'm happy to share more with them to give away a free PDF to get people started on the journey towards money mastery. That would be wonderful. And I will make sure that I include the links for Deborah's website in the show link, um, in the show description. And um, are you on social media? Is there a way that they could also connect with you via social media? Yes. Yes. On Facebook, uh, Money Smart for Life is the name of my page. And same thing, Money Smart for Life with a little underline after the E in life um, for on Instagram. Money smart for life. Yes. Excellent. Well, Deborah, it has been an absolute joy to be able to talk with you and hear about your experience with your daughters being a single mom by choice, um, growing two different businesses, and all of the wisdom that you've shared about how we can be relationship based with our children, both young and old. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I'm so passionate about this and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about parenting and relationship-based parenting and, you know, living your dreams. (laughs) I love that. Um, So thank you to all my listeners as well for joining us today for the Peaceful World Schoolers podcast. I hope that this episode was as much of a blessing for you as it has been for me. Keep in mind that new episodes are released every Tuesday, so make sure that you subscribe so you will not miss out on a single episode. Um, And if you would like to continue to support me and my work, please, first of all, share this episode with your family and friends. And you can also consider donating to the links that I provide in the description, as well as on my website, www.peacefulworldschoolers.com. I hope that- Can I add- Yes, go for it. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No worries, go Um, for it. I was was just going to add one more thing that I forgot to say when you asked how people can find me. And that is, I do have a podcast also called Finance Your Dream. And you can find it anywhere, anywhere um, you listen. 
Awesome. Finance your dreams. So make sure that you also check out um, Deborah's podcast. So I will, I know I will be subscribing to that myself. And so I can learn some more financial tips and tricks from you. Um, and, and just to continue following you as you go on your journey. So thank you so very much for sharing with us today. And we will see the rest of you next Tuesday. Bye. Join us next Tuesday on the Peaceful World Schooling Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Harders, and I hope that your day is as wonderful as you are. If you like this video, please make sure you subscribe and click the bell so you will not miss out on a single episode.